Hey, this is Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. Just to let you know, soon we will be moving the time of the show to 4 o'clock on Saturdays as part of a larger block of LGBTQ shows. Make sure you check it out. I think you'll like it. It's me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. I am thrilled to be back here. Happy New Year to you. Happy 2024. And what a year it will be, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Uh, You know, and I'm thinking a year from now, well, how will we be? But uh, let's not go there, okay? I hope you had great holidays and further hope that your new year has started off well for you. As for me, I've been writing. Um, I'll talk about that in the C block. For today's show, the big interview is with an incredible idealist. You're going to really love how she explained about being idealistic. Her name is Heather Tran, and she is the executive director of a small nonprofit um, based here in, out here in the western burbs of the Twin Cities. Her nonprofit's named uh, Better Society. But now in this A block, let's talk about this week's featured idealist, as I always do. And before I share his name, I have to confess something to you, and that is that. And that is this. I've been doing this show, this particular show, Ellie 2.0 Radio, now for six years, if you can believe that. We started the show in January of 2018. And I cannot believe that in all that time, in more than 300 episodes of this show, I have never, ever highlighted this week's featured idealist. I can't believe that I did not do that. And I have no idea how that happened because this idealist is one of the most important figures in the 1950s and early 1960s civil rights movement. Who is that person? I'm speaking of Medgar Evers, who spearheaded desegregation efforts in Mississippi in the 1950s and early 1960s only to be murdered as he stood on the driveway of his home in July of 1963. Before we get to that, who was Medgar Evers? He was born in 1925 in Decatur, Mississippi, where his family owned a small farm. Because of segregation, Medgar and his siblings, uh, he had four other siblings, had to walk six miles, you know, and this isn't one of those stories. He had to walk six miles each way to get to the closest black school, okay, because he couldn't go to the white schools that were closer. Ultimately, Medgar graduated from high school and entered the U.S. Army at the height of World War II. He later participated in the Normandy invasion in France in June of 1944. After earning the rank of sergeant, he left the military at the war's end and uh, attended a historic black college, Alcorn State in Mississippi, where he earned a business degree. He then began selling life insurance. By then, he had married. He had a wife named um, Merle, M-Y-R-L-I-E, Merle Evers, and eventually they would have three children together. When the U.S. Supreme Court handed down its decisions in Brown versus Board of Education in 1954 and then came back again and modified a little bit in 1955, Medgar began the audacious, audacious work of, of um, 
working to uh, attempt to desegregate Mississippi's uh, public facilities. And then at the time, he was working with the NAACP. And as I read about Medgar and what it was like in the 1950s and early 60s in Mississippi, I was struck by how pervasive segregation was. Now, you know, we live here in Minnesota. We, we had our own Jim Crow issues, trust me. But, you know, usually, you know, I think that the, the image most people have about segregation in Jim Crow South was, you know, the, the lunch counters, okay, because they were trying to desegregate the lunch counters. But the fact of the matter is, is that segregation in Jim Crow South was not only lunch counters, but it was also all kinds of things, restrooms, playgrounds, beaches on the Gulf Coast, um, and a host of other places and facilities that you, everybody just takes for granted that you could go there. But not in Mississippi. Not if you were black. After the Brown decisions, Medker applied to, to law school at the University of Mississippi. But no surprise there. He was denied admission because of the color of his skin. That would not change until later in 1964, whatever it was, when uh, James Meredith uh, attempted and successfully attempted with the help of U.S. Marshals to integrate University of Mississippi. In 1954, Metker became the NAACP's first field secretary in Mississippi. In that role, he helped organize boycotts to use black economic power to end segregation. He also worked to set up NAACP chapters in various parts of Mississippi. He also got involved in the investigation of Emmett Till's murder in Mississippi. That happened in 1955. All of this, as you might expect, made Metker Evers far more visible. And as a consequence, he became a target of white supremacists. Um, We all know the Ku Klux Klan and other white supremacist organizations were alive and well in Mississippi in the 50s and 60s. Soon, Medgar Evers was getting death threats. It was to the point that the FBI trained his family on how to respond in certain threatening situations. Now, again, can you just imagine your wife and small children or your husband and small children are sitting in a living room and they have an FBI agent in there instructing on what to do if their home was attacked. I mean, think about that. And the reason for that was simply because of the color of their skin. And there were attempts to kill Medgar. In one instance, a Molotov cocktail was thrown at the house uh, that he and his wife shared in Jackson, Mississippi. And on another occasion, he was almost run over by a car as he left an NAACP meeting in rural Mississippi. However... On July 11th, 1963, President Kennedy gave a very famous speech. It was a civil rights address to the nation in which he said Americans had a moral obligation to treat black Americans equally. And they had a moral obligation to end segregation in our country. Wonderful that Kennedy was finally doing that. However, hours later, In the early morning of July 12th, because Medker was out organizing, Medker Evers pulled into the driveway of his home in Jackson. As he walked from his car to the front door, he was shot in the back. Medker was taken to an all-white hospital in Jackson, which at 
This is the way it worked, everyone, which at first refused to treat Medgar because of the color of his skin. Merely, his wife pressed the hospital, telling them who Medgar was, um, that he was very notable, okay? And then ultimately, he was admitted to that hospital, and it made Medgar, he made history again, because he became the first black person to ever be admitted to an all-white hospital in Mississippi. That was 1963. Many of my listeners right now were alive at that time in 1963. Think about that. Unfortunately, and, and one can wonder how long the delay in getting him admitted contributed, um, but ultimately Medgar died that night. Um, he was later buried at Arlington National Cemetery with full military honors. A white supremacist by the name of Byron Dela Beckwith was arrested for Medgar's murder. But all white juries um, at trials in February and April of 1964, they became deadlocked and they failed to convict uh, Byron Dela Beckwith um, in the murder of Medgar Evers. Now remember, here we are again, this is how pervasive it was. Remember, segregation rigged, rigged the system. And black folks weren't allowed to register to vote in 1963, 1964 in Mississippi. And juries, of course, were picked from the voter rolls. So that's why it was an all-white jury because there were no black people registered to vote in the county where the uh, murder trial of, of uh, Byron de la Beckwith was, uh, took place. However, and, and merely she pressed this she never remarried. She pressed this about her late husband. Um, and 30 years later, in 1996, Dela Beckwith was prosecuted again. And this time, he was convicted because, of course, by 1996, there were black folks on the voter rolls and on the jury, you know, panel. All right. So Dela Beckwith was convicted in 1996. Seven years later, at the age of 80, he died in prison. It's too bad that he hadn't been in prison much longer than that. The trial that convicted Dela Beckwith was the focus of a 1996 film, Ghosts of Mississippi, which were directed by Rob Reiner and which starred James Woods and Alec Baldwin. I think I was wrong. The, 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 uh, the murder conviction of Dela Beckwith was in 1994, not 1996. But at any rate, there was this movie that Rob Reiner, you remember Rob Reiner? Um, uh, the, uh, the movie was titled Ghost of Mississippi, and it starred James Woods, Alec Baldwin. Um, you know, I've never seen the movie, but I'm going to go see it now. I'm going to pull it up on Netflix. Uh, the story of Medgar Evers is a familiar one. An idealist who paid the ultimate price, the ultimate price for his efforts to change the world. Our country is better because of Medgar Evers. It is. Please remember him. He was a true American hero and someone that we should never, ever forget. Okay. All right. That's the end of our A Block. When we come back, uh, we'll do the big interview with Heather Tram from A Better Society. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, one of the relatively few transgender humans uh, on the radio and podcast across the world, okay? 
Um, if you like what you hear, visit my website at ellikrug.com. Email me at ldjkrug at gmail. I'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in a sec. Hey, this is Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. Just to let you know, soon we will be moving the time of the show to 4 o'clock on Saturdays as part of a larger block of LGBTQ shows. Make sure you check it out. I think you'll like it. Ellie 2.0 Radio. So um, do do yourself a favor, and all you have to do is Google Medgar Evers' name, and you'll get much of what I just told you, okay? Well worth it. And we're now ready for the big interview, and that will be well worth it as well, because I have Heather Tran here. She is the executive director of A Better Society. It's a small nonprofit based out of Chanhassen, Minnesota. Heather, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Ah, I'm thrilled to have you here. And, you know, we've been, you and I have been trying to get this organized for several months, but finally <laughs> we've got you. And uh, it's a great way for me to kick off the first show of 2024. 20, Gosh, I can't I believe I'm even saying that. And, uh, but uh, first of all, tell us what is a better society, which I love the name, okay, and we can use the acronym ABS, okay, but what, yeah. is, uh, what is better society? What do you do, and, and how long have you been in existence? Just take her away. Okay, yeah. So a better society is a nonprofit organization. We're located in Chanhassen, like you said. Um, my husband and I started it. It'll be 16 years in March of uh, 20, of this year. So um, it's exciting. We had our 15-year anniversary last year, and it was like, oh, my goodness, just looking back and seeing, seeing what that journey has been like. Um, our mission really is, you know, we look at a community, try to discover that the needs of that community – we collaborate. So working together with other entities within the community, whether it's nonprofits, government agencies, um, faith communities, um, schools, all of those pieces of the community, uh, working together for creating solutions and then activating the broader community to come up with without, you know, with sustainable outcomes. How do we come up with systems that work um, meeting the needs of everyone in that community? Um, OK. Yeah. So give, give us some examples of what, uh, of what a better society has done within the last few years. Okay. So we do a number of things in, in what we do. We, we do help social entrepreneurs, individuals who have an idea and want to create a solution for that. So we do help nonprofits form, and we've had a number of them recently that have formed, that we've supported Mikasa, Latino Voices. Um, there was a few in the past, uh, Cancer My Way, a couple others that we help that social entrepreneur take their idea from, you know, it's overwhelming when you want to create a nonprofit. So we break it down into steps. So it's like, okay, this week, let's work on, you know, 
creating your bylaws or whatever that is. So we will help them get through that. And we've helped a number of nonprofits successfully launch. Sometimes social entrepreneurs have an idea that someone else is working on. So making that connection so they can do their work, but maybe um, do it working with another nonprofit or another agency to do what it is. Or maybe they don't even need a nonprofit to do the work that they're doing. So we help them navigate that. Um, so you, and then and, bigger pick. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. Are you also like a fiscal sponsor? So if if the nonprofit is getting started, but they don't have their tax deduction deductibility at the 501c3, do you act as the agent that takes in the money for them so that they can go forward and have some cash as they're creating this nonprofit? Yes, we can serve that way. So we okay. are created... Um, when we created ourselves, we're more we can we can work as an umbrella to take in a nonprofit, serve as their fiscal agent until they are able to have their five hundred one c three and go on their own. Okay. So yes, we do have that ability, and there's a whole process of how we do that um, to make those decisions, what we do and don't do. So, um, yeah, and then in that we do a lot of work in the community where we're working collaboratively, and that organically happened one of our first projects is called project life cycle it's we take in donated bikes fix them up give them back out into the community we've been doing that for since the very beginning my husband's passion my husband kai his passion was biking and he was really it was really hard to say you know i love biking and there are people that don't bike because they can't afford a bike and he wanted to do something about that and part of our vision as well is if you can get people to link their passion to their gifts and have them giving back in, mm-hmm. in that they're going to give that yeah. much more of themselves. Um, well, and I, so I'm, with- I'm, I'm, I, you know, if you, and if you go on the website for a better society, which I'm going to make sure that you, you uh, let everybody know yeah. about what struck me was you got bikes. I mean, you got bikes on the walls, you got bikes on the ceiling, you know, as, as uh, you know, ornaments within the organization. So I think that that's really great. I'm a bicyclist too. So I, you know, it touches my heart for sure. Yeah. And it's not about the bikes. The bikes are kind of this link that, helped us to connect with other organizations to learn that there are people that are food insecure. There are people that are homeless. It was this connection to get a clearer understanding of this kind of Southwest community that we're in, um, in this metro area to understand that, you know, it was probably 13 years ago when we brought the community together into our space and had sticky, like, like those big sheets on the wall and said, tell us what you're seeing. And they kept putting homelessness. And I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like people are food insecure. People are homeless. I'm like, where? Like, and that started some journeys that came off of that project life cycle, which we've continued. It is our proof of concept. You can take an idea and make it into a sustainable project, but it connected us with all of these organizations to say, huh, what if we all come together and look at homelessness or food insecurity or transportation? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. even even just this week um, in the um, Chaska Herald and the Chan uh, newspaper yeah. on the front page was this story about homelessness, which, I mean, <laughs> it's all relative. I mean, they were, it was three tents in a city park 
for people that, you know, uh, lacked stable housing. Now, of course, in Minneapolis, three tents in a city park would be like, you know, a huge success story for the city of Minneapolis. But that in our community, in Carver County, merited mm-hmm. a front page story. Um, right. You know, and and I, the reality I think our listeners, my listeners need to know is that, that um, Carver County is one of the most well-to-do counties, yeah. affluent counties in the state of Minnesota and you can go nationally as well. And, you know, the, the uh, poverty rate in Carver County is less than – Five percent, which is mm-hmm. <clears throat> in contrast to the state of Minnesota, the overall poverty rate is hovering somewhere in the twenties. I think the twenty percent. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> but what I love about a better society is it sounds like you're an incubator, an mm-hmm. incubator for other nonprofits, and that's a really important role. I was just um, just a, 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 to a month and a half ago working with somebody who uh, wanted to create a nonprofit and she reached out to me and I put her in touch with a lawyer who helps, you know, help. I have a nonprofit who helped my nonprofit get off the ground. But had I known about a better society, understood exactly what you were doing, I think that maybe I would have referred her your way. Um, and she's off, you know, she's got a board. I mean, she's she's a doer and she's got everything going. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, I love the idea about collaborations. I love the idea about, about – um, you know, about um, helping other organizations grow. So tell me, um, uh, first of all, let's give, if if listeners want to find out more about a a better society, how can they do that? They can visit our website, abettersociety.org. We also have a, an active Facebook page. You can go out there and learn more about the work. We're trying to be better with the Facebook page. It's always a struggle, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yes, you can reach out that way. My email's easy. It's Heather at a better society.org. Anyone can email me and set up time just to learn more about, you know, how they can help. I I'm always open to a phone call, grabbing coffee. Like it, it's what I do. How do I connect people to the way that they want to give back. So yeah. what are the, and that's great, Heather. And and if people want to donate, there's a donate button on your website. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, that's All right. correct. Well, let's, yep. you know, let's make sure that, you know, yes. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah. we're past the end of the year, unfortunately, but you know, the, I mean, yeah. there are people want to give still in January. So let's yeah. uh, talk about a little bit about the challenges that are going on in the nonprofit world these days. What are you seeing? I mean, are you seeing fatigue? Are you seeing... You know, everybody's got stuff going on. Of course, we were on the tail end of the pandemic. What, what, how is the world different for a better society in 2024 compared to, you know, when you started maybe and, and, you know, just maybe even five or 10 years ago? Um, I would say even just in the non like in nonprofit space in general, there, we're, there's a lot of exhaustion with the leaders. Our, the, the executive directors, um, especially in this community, um, are connected well. Like we support each other well. That It's not even just collaborating about solving a problem. It's support. Like how do we have that strong relationship where I don't know how to deal with whatever this is, you know, and sometimes it's personal, sometimes it's you know, with the organization, sometimes it's 
it could be a lot of different things um, where we're, you know, we, we all are connected on our cell phones. Like if I see a, a, an executive director's number pop up on my phone, I know, okay, there's something on that other end of that we're trying to figure out. It could be a crisis. It could just be like, I just need to be, uh, I just need to think through this process. And we do that well. Um, there were a group of us. So Mary Hernandez from Mikasa, yep. Al Norby from Love Inc. And I in May started a, it's called the Nonprofit Senior Leadership Collective, mm. where we're bringing together those executive directors. And we have about 30 of them or so. Um, we're meeting next week um, to to support each other. How do we support each other in helping each other understand that we have to take care of ourselves because executive director jobs, we're caring for our boards, the our staff, the people we serve, our donors, like all of these things, and our families. We never get a break of serving because it's just and it's and we have that servant's heart, right? But we need to remember that we have to care for ourselves as well. And then sharing those best practices and what are the things that are challenging. Um, finances is, is one of our top worries. It, you mean when you, you mean uh, you fundraising, know, fun, fundraising yeah. money coming in the door, right? Stability. Funding stability is, is I think, one of the things that we all face. Um, as a challenge because our donors are fiscal or fiscal fickle our donors are fickle maybe the rotaries or the lions or the certain grantor supported us in the past and there may be another organization that they want to support now um, grants especially in carver county because we're the healthiest wealthiest you know we have a low poverty rate it's hard to compete for grants, whether they're private or um, state grants. Mm. It's really, really hard for us to compete um, because we don't look in this area like we have need, even though there is need. Right. Like you said, with homelessness, there's need. Homelessness looks different here, um, but that need still exists and we need help, but we can't compete. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's really interesting. And you as an umbrella organization, you're, you're really plugged in to be able to, to see all of that. What, on the other hand, if we've got such a wealthy com- uh, county, um, mm-hmm. are you, I mean, are, do we have, do you have like individuals stepping forward, writing big checks, you know, that aren't part of other, you know, nonprofits, but I mean, they're just individual humans wanting to, to do good in the world. Yes, we do have that. Um, it is that awareness piece. I think there are a lot of people in our community. I'm, I was so grateful to see that article on the paper, you know, on the front page of the paper, because I think a lot of people in our community put blinders on mm-hmm. or or think that it is it's a Minneapolis. It's a Minneapolis of course, problem. that's exactly what they're going to think, of course. Right. But we have coming up. Um, in the county, there's going to be an event on January 29th called Carver Community Connect, which is replacing um, Project Community Connect that was out of Scott. Scott and Carver County okay. work together a lot on things. This is an opportunity for people who are homeless in crisis, have you know different needs to come together at the Curling Center 
Um, in uh, in Chaska. Do, in Chaska. Yep. Um, and it is also the point in time survey day. Do you know what point in time is? Mm-mm. It's the time in the entire country. <laughs> I, I'm not in housing, so I don't know exactly how it works. Where homelessness is counted for every community in the entire country. And that is the basis of how we get funding for dealing for addressing homelessness. Okay. January so 29th we, is that day. January 24th. January is a Wednesday. January okay. 24th. And then so, and this Carver County Connect is January 24th. Yes. So okay. it's on the right. day, hoping okay. that we can get a good right. clear count on that. Right. Um but it you know, raising that awareness piece of of homelessness and understanding what it looks like, we have a, a, a decent enough number of homeless people that we need to do something, and we have no shelter in our community. No, we don't. No, we don't. And in part because because of what you just said, I mean, people just don't recognize that this is happening. And um, okay, now <laughs> what what else what else should um, you know my listeners know about a better society? That we haven't talked about. Mm, I don't. I, I mean, we 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 are working with a lot. It's probably good to just take a look at our website. Um, we are doing a lot of collaborative work. Uh, <laughs> we're 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 doing a lot of things like that. We have a project called Project Linkage as well. If we can talk about yeah, that, sure. Go ahead. Um, so Project Linkage is um, is a project that we've been working on for. The idea came up about 13 years ago. An individual in need walks into a food shelf and they're food insecure. Well, that individual probably has other needs as well. They probably need housing. They might need a winter coat. They might need furniture. There's all of these things. What does that food shelf do? You know, what is their action if they do that? Do they give them, you know, a flyer, a resource? Do they... um, do they even not know what to do and just say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, and, and, and just support them in the ways that they can, which is fine. I mean, that's what they do. But how do we come up with a better way as a community where an individual in need is getting all of their needs met in a more efficient, humane, you know, manner where they're not having to get re-traumatized telling their story right. over and over again. So we've been working on a system pretty heavily in the last three years called Project Linkage, where the government agencies, the nonprofits, the faith community, um, any other organization that might be providing services or coming across uh, individuals who have needs, housing, food, transportation, clothing, furniture, all of those kinds of needs. Uh, We're working with the library, the police department, how do we get individuals connected to what they need, organizations connected to each other, and doing referrals using a computer platform? It's called Unite Us, and that's the system we're using. Okay. So that we can get a better understanding as a community of what the needs are here. So it's, we have anecdotal data, right. but we don't have concrete data. So it would be similar to an app where yeah. somebody comes in, you know, they go to the food shelf. And then you've got, of course, you're going to have to make sure that the food shelf folks are trained and, you know, and the food shelf person says, hi, you know, uh, how are you today? And, and this person is going through the food shelf, trying, you know, getting items. And then 
the food shelf worker representative says, um, while I have you here, is there anything else that you need? And mm -hmm. then if the person says yes, they can go to the computer or maybe to the phone, which would be really great, and, and just start plugging in some data and then boom, 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 other things will come up that would be right. supportive of this human. It's a great exactly. It's a great concept. It's a wonderful, wonderful concept. How close are you to getting this off the ground? We just passed. We 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 had a meeting yesterday. We passed. We're into phase. We're just starting phase three. Phase one was let let's try let's pilot this thing. Phase two is let's get a critical mass on it. Phase three is really the usage piece, getting it so that we're really using it well. Um, it is uh, more trauma informed in this in this system because instead of handing someone a flyer that then they're going to have to go call another organization and reshare right. what they're doing, they can share enough in the platform, you know, and right. the individual can help the, the person at the shelf or wherever they come in can help them with that, so that that organization calls them. They're not having to, like, it took everything in their power to come through the food shelf in the first place to now step, you know, to have somebody come back and ask them versus them having to go ask somebody. So else. the food shelf will become the navigator for them, um, util yeah. utilizing project linkage. And, right. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, it's a great idea, and I hope that it really gets off the ground and, yeah. you know, really gets used. Now, one last question, okay, because I always ask all of my guests, and that is this, you know, do you think you're idealistic? And, you know, I define an idealist as somebody who's working to try and make the world a better place. And if you think you are an idealist, which I think you are from the little I know about you, Heather, um, what, what made you that way? What happened in your life to cause you to be so idealistic? Um. I was thinking about this and I was actually talking to my son about it this morning. Cause I'm like, I, yes. In the way that you define it, I guess I, I am. I'm kind of uncomfortable because I just think this is the way we all should be. Right. I don't yeah, think yeah. that this should be like, it should be odd that, okay, this is how I am. Um, I think it, the thing that adjusted it was becoming a parent and knowing that mm. I wanted my kids to know that they can make a difference. Like, if things aren't right, you can do something about it. Um, and I was looking at it. I actually wrote down the quote that I kind of live my life by. Okay. It's uh, from the Dalai Lama. And it's um, and I use it when I would go into schools at times and talk to them about what it means to serve and, and how to do that. And it's just as ripples spread out when a single pebble is dropped into water, the actions of individuals can have far-reaching effects. Hmm. And I tell, I mean, when I go to schools, it's like this, he's not saying anything about whether they're good or bad. The way that you act impacts the people around you. It's impacting them. It does. And do I want to do it positively or negatively? And how can I make it so that a majority of my actions are positive and, 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 and bringing joy and blessing to others? So, Well, Heather, I love that. I do. And... <laughs> What you may not know is I'm Buddhist, okay? Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and secondly is I have a newsletter that's, that's named The Ripple. 
And oh, uh, so, awesome. you know, and so, yeah, absolutely. And I'm a big believer in what you just said. So thank you. But you say it, said it very eloquently. Thanks. Well, listen, Heather Tram, uh, thank you for being on LE 2.0 Radio. I have uh, really, really enjoyed talking with you. And, and uh, I look forward to hearing more about great work from A Better Society, which Thank people you. can find online at abettersociety.org. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, that's correct. All right. And I wish you the very best. And uh, let's just stay in touch. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks. Okay. All right, Heather. Thanks. All right. I've been speaking with Heather Tran, the executive director of A Better Society. Go check them out on the website at abettersociety.org. When we come back from uh, the break, we'll do my C block where I'll talk about my work as an idealist. All right, everyone. We'll be back in a sec. Hey, this is Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. Just to let you know, soon we will be moving the time of the show to 4 o'clock on Saturdays as part of a larger block of LGBTQ shows. Make sure you check it out. I think you'll like it. And we're back. LE 2.0 Radio. Uh, check out A Better Society. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I was touched by the way Heather described why she's an idealist. You know? We all should be working to make the world better. All right. C-Block here. Uh, three things. First, what have I been doing? I, I tried to take a trip to Colorado to visit Thap, my best friend in the world. Um, and I got stuck. Uh, this was over the Christmas holiday. I got stuck in Nebraska. It was – they shut down I-80. They shut down every road from Nebraska into Colorado. And I ended up having to come back. But I made some lemonade, did some painting in the house and some other things. And I worked on my book. You know, I've got my first book, Getting to Well, and has been out for, God, at this point, almost 11 years. And so I'm working on a sequel, Being Ellen. And uh, I've got – I got nine, like almost 90,000 words on that book. Not done yet, um, but I was able to do that. Second thing I want to talk about is, um, all right, legislative season is beginning. And, I mean, we're barely into it. And uh, as reported by Erin Reed, I've had Erin on the show before. She's a transgender blogger, columnist. She has this blog called Erin in the Morning. I highly recommend that you uh, check it out. But she keeps track of all things transgender in America, all right? And just uh, an hour before I taped this show, I got online and there was a report from Erin Reid that 125 anti-trans bills have already been introduced into state houses in America since the start of the year. 125. I mean, in all of last year, There were 500 anti-LGBTQ bills. The majority of those were anti-trans, but but this time last year, according to Aaron, there were only 50 anti-trans bills introduced in state houses. This time last year, and now it's more than double that. I mean, it is going to be a horrendous legislative year for LGBTQ folks in general, but particularly for transgender people. Because they're coming at us for all kinds of things. I mean, you know, we've got 
at this point, 22 states that ban gender-affirming care for youth, and, and some of them are banning them for adults who are like on Medicaid. Um, we've got 23 states that ban trans kids from playing sports from kindergarten all the way through public university senior year. I mean, but but they're coming. They're still coming after my community. They're still coming after me. Um, thank God I live in Minnesota. But again, we're only one election away from everything changing, even here in the blue, 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 blue state of Minnesota. I just, I, I you know, I. I you're going to hear me, and you're going to hear me talk about this repeatedly throughout 2024. So um, I don't have much of a platform, but, you know, this is important. And I know that it's important to my listeners as well. Lastly, the show's moving. <laughs> no, we're not going to CNN or something like that. <laughs> we're, we're moving <laughs> our time. So for a while, we're still going to have the show show up at 10 o'clock on Saturday mornings. But beginning, I think, this weekend or next, um, this show will run from 10 in the morning to 11 on Saturdays. But then again, I'm going to run from 4 to 5 uh, on Saturdays. And it's going to be a block of other shows that are LGBTQ related and, and themed. Um, the show will also air on, on Monday or Sundays, excuse me, from 1 to 2. But at some point in the near future, this show will only run from 4 to 5 on Saturdays. And, you know, it's going to be all of a block of, of LGBTQ-themed shows. I'm looking forward to that. I think that will be – it'll. I, as far as I know, it's the only kind of block of its type um, in the country. So AM 950, hmm, the flagship here, um, is going to make some history, I think. And I think that uh, you'll like how this comes down. So I'm excited about it. Um, I'm like super pumped. And, uh, and I think that you'll find it of value as well. So and then if not, you know, well, one way or the other, let me know what you think. Okay. And of course, you can always listen to this show just by, you know, on Spotify or your friendly whatever podcast host, you know, and just you can podcast this and listen to it whenever you want to. Okay. So... Um, all right. Um, and I guess I, I'll give you one more thing, okay? And that is um, faith and hope. We've got to have it this year. We really do. We've got we to gotta, we gotta believe. We've got to believe that everything will turn out all right. We've got to have hope. For J- President Joe, it doesn't look like he's going to do the right thing and not run. So we got to have hope that the guy doesn't die, okay? That <laughs> I know that sounds pretty morose, but we've got to have hope that he stays healthy, you know, and that there's no big stumbles um, on the campaign trail by him. And we've got to have hope that people show up, that people turn out. And we've got to have hope and faith that it will all turn out all right. So as I said, a year from now, we'll see what kind of conversation we're having. All right, a big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett's always there in the background. You may not hear him, but he's always there, and I'm always looking at his smiling face, and he's always doing the math for Ellie Krug. And a big thanks to you, my listeners. I'm thrilled that you tuned in. I really appreciate that you listen to the show. Um, some of you write to me. I always love hearing about that, hearing from you. And let others know about the show if you would, okay? Because, hey, I'd love to take this show to wherever. 
Um, and in the meantime, between now and next Saturday, when you hear my voice, um, go out and do something to make the world better, will you? You can do that. Okay. Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio, over and out. <laughs>